Every year on Halloween, people dress up as someone who they are not. Every year, people change their outward appearance to pretend that they are someone they are not. Tonight, many of you did. Amber and I also did. And in the end, even though we can dress up and pretend, the reality is that we are not the actual characters from the TV show. So, um, and just like we pretend to be other people on Halloween, there were also some people in the passage we're about to read who were also pretenders. They pretended to be disciples of Jesus. They may have appeared on the outside to be followers of Jesus, true um, Christians, but in the end they were exposed as pretenders and we'll read about them and why they ended up turning away from Jesus. So, if you have your scripture notebooks with you, please meet me in John 6. We went over the first half of John um, last week, and we're going to finish up chapter 6 tonight. So, verse 22. So, open up your scripture notebooks. If you don't have it, I have it on the screen, so you can follow along. Verse 22 of John chapter 6. Verse 22 from John chapter 6. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had only been one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me. Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, uh, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent his seal of approval on him. So, to kind of put some context to this story, uh, remember last week we uh, talked about two miracles that Jesus performed earlier in John chapter 6. What were they? Two miracles. If you are here last week, which I think most of you were. Two miracles. Joe, you got one of them? So he, yep, yep. So the, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Charlie, remember the other one? Jesus walking on the water. Yeah, so that is the context of the story. So that just happened, and the next day, Jesus and the disciples had already traveled across the sea um, to Capernaum, and the people awoken on the other side. They're like, where is Jesus? We need to go find him. So here in the beginning of the passage, we see the same crowd that Jesus fed the day before are looking for him, looking for him, and understandably so. I mean, if you saw Someone feeds thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. Wouldn't you want to see that person again? Wouldn't you want to go back to see what that person is going to be doing the next day? What miraculous thing is going to happen in your life the next day? Wouldn't you do that as well? I would. They wanted to find Jesus so badly that they themselves found boats and rowed across the miles of sea to Capernaum. And when they found Jesus, they were given a really unexpected response because Jesus discerns that the people came to him not because they believed that he was the Son of God, but rather because they never want to go hungry again. They want access to an everlasting source of food because um, who wouldn't? 
Most of these people probably had to fight every day, work very hard to get food. If you had a source that gave you everlasting food and you never had to work again for it, wouldn't you want that? I would. So, but Jesus, knowing this, tells them, don't work for food that won't keep you satisfied, but rather work for God to have eternal life. So, let's keep reading to see how the people take Jesus' kind of abrupt response to them. So, let's pick up our story back in John 6, verses 28. 28. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may believe, see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as, just as it is written. He gave them bread and uh, from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will, be ever, will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe me. Everyone who, everyone who the Father has given me, gives me, will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not only to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verses 39 says this, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So, I just want to pause for a moment to explain what we just read. Because there was a lot there. There were some confusing things. And I just want to clear some stuff up as we continue so we can understand what Jesus is saying. So first, we see the people ask Jesus what work they must do to have eternal life. What work do they must do so that um, they can have eternal life? And Jesus responds with verse 29. So go back to verse 29. He says, the work of God is that you believe in the one he sent, or Jesus. So circle verse 29. That's an important verse that we're going to come back to. So in other words, believe in Jesus. Simply put, you want to do the work of God, believe in Jesus. Then catch this. The most absurd, what does absurd mean? Wildly unreasonable question happens. The most absurd question is asked by the people. If we go back to verse 30 through 31, they say, what sign then are you going to do that we may see and believe you? They ask, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate man in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Why is this so absurd? Why do I call this a wild, a wildly kind of crazy, this um, wildly um, unreasonable question? Why is their question so absurd to Jesus? The question of giving them a sign. Anybody? Yes, Joe. Potentially, they, just, they might just want more food. Why else? Why else might their question be completely absurd, Max? 
they're asking for a sign to be done. And these were the same people that were with Jesus the day before. And what did they witness? They witnessed a feeding of 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. They asked for a sign, and they were present for an incredible miracle. You know what's even crazier? That they asked for a sign that dealt with food. They asked for a sign and then said, well, you know, our ancestors had manna fall from heaven. That's kind of basically what Jesus did, right? He divided five loaves and two fish and gave them food that shouldn't have been there. In a sense, he kind of gave them food from heaven. Isn't that kind of absurd for them to ask that request after experiencing such miraculous event? Yes, it seems absurd. Yes. So we, we see this um, because Jesus literally performed them a sign, and they completely missed it. But even though they missed it, we see Jesus having patience with the crowd as he plainly tells them that he, and he reminds them that he is the source of life that they are looking for. These people are looking for a source of life. And Jesus patiently reminds them, verse 33, Jesus is the one who gives life to this world. He says this, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Pretty plainly, right? He's the one that came down from heaven. He's the one that gives us life. And this is the main point that Jesus is trying to get across to the people that are listening to him. Not only has, is he the giver of physical life as he heals the sick, as we've seen before in John, but he also gives us spiritual life as he's the one who can save us from our sins. And you think that the people would get this and believe in Jesus right then and there, but if we keep on reading, I think we'll find something vastly different. So pick up your scripture notebooks again. We're going to start at verse 41. Verse 41, therefore the Jews started grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. For it is written in the prophets, and they will be all taught by God. Everyone who has listened and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. You think that's a common theme. He keeps repeating it over and over and over again. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If one eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one... Who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me, 
And this is the bread that came down from heaven, and it is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. forever. And he said these things while teaching the synagogue in Capernaum. Wow, what a passage. Some very interesting, confusing things said in this passage. Can I finish and then see if I answer your question? And then if I don't, ask me later, okay? Very confusing things that are said in this passage. Some things were like, Jesus, what in the world are you saying here? First, we have to say, okay, we have to answer the question, what is Jesus not saying here? So we can clear some things up. First, he is not saying become cannibals. Cannibal is a human that eats another human. That is a cannibal. Sure, somebody, something that eats the same species, whatever, of that thing. So, what he's saying is, don't become cannibals. He's not saying become cannibals. Why? Why is Jesus saying this, and why do we know this to be true? Okay, we have to go back in John 6 to verse 35, what we read earlier tonight. John 6.35 says, I am the bread of life, Jesus told him. So he starts out with that imagery of bread of life. No one comes to me, will ever be hungry. So we think, okay, maybe physical. But then he says, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. So here we get a clue. Here we get a picture of what Jesus is really talking about in this passage. Because he's, he says, the one who believes in me will never go thirsty. So he's not just using a physical image He's spiritualizing a physical need, and that's key. So in verse 35, if you want to circle something, circle that last verse, no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But notice, so the big key is to notice that he spiritualizes the thirst aspect. He doesn't say, whoever drinks of my body will never be thirsty. He says, no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So this is important because this shows that when Jesus is talking about his flesh and drinking his blood, he is referring to simply believing in him as your Savior, to save you from your sins, to take part, to believe and trust in what he did on the cross, which was a physical action, but covered us spiritually. So he's using a physical analogy to explain a spiritual truth. So, he's not saying become cannibals. just want to be that clear. Jesus is not condoning cannibalism. But understandably, though, if you are the people here in this story, hearing this for the first time, it could be really hard to understand, right? It could be very hard to understand. So, let's finish up John 6 quick to see how the people responded. Because if you're anything like them and like me, when I first read this, I'm like, Jesus, what in the world are you saying? So John 6, let's finish up and read verse 60. Starting at verse 60. And we'll just read to the end of the chapter. Verse 60. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And Jesus, knowing that uh, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, does this offend you? 
Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some, some among you who don't believe. So here again, he goes back to this idea that what he's talking about is spiritual belief, spiritually partaking in Christ, not necessarily physically taking part of Christ. But there are some among you who don't believe, verse 64. For Jesus knew from the beginning that those who did not believe in the one who betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, here's the key, here's another key verse. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. We see people deserting Jesus. Verse 67, so he, told, he said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One, the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. So, in the end, we see some people who are following Jesus turn away because they could not understand some of the hard teachings that Jesus was saying. In the end, we see people being exposed as pretenders. But we see the 12 disciples stay because they have come to know. What, what does Peter say? He says, I've come to know and believe that Jesus is God. And um, they believe that he is the son, the savior of the world. So, there's a lot of verses there. I think we just read like 50-some verses. There's a lot of verses there, and I was just trying to explain it real quick so we could get to this point, okay? To get to this point of what is the big takeaway? What is the thing that this passage is exposing, this passage that is teaching? What is something that um, we can practically use in our lives? So, one... I think Jesus clearly um, explained that the work of God is to believe in him. And to believe is not just to say, I know that person to be real. To believe, is, to believe in Jesus is to say, one, yes, I know, but then I also trust you as my Savior. To believe is an active thing, not just a head thing, but it goes to the heart and then it flows out to your actions of, okay, now I'm going to live my life to love God and love others well. Another big takeaway is we must keep in mind the truths and facts that we know about Jesus when we go through confusing situations. We see this present in this story. Even though um, I, I think we see this um, from Peter as he answers Jesus in verses 67 and 69. He says, Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? And Peter says, Lord, whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So even though the teaching that Jesus had told the people was hard to understand and confusing, Peter 
one of the 12 disciples, says with confidence that, they will, that he will still follow Jesus in the midst of this hard and confusing teaching. teaching. And how can this be? Because everything that they have witnessed to prior the last five chapters that we've been reading, all the miracles, all the signs, right? John is full of signs. We've read the, the miracle in Canaan. We've read of miracles and people being healed. We just read of the 5,000 being fed by five loaves and two fish. We read about Jesus walking on the water. There are signs, there are things that people have witnessed to that Peter could have confidence that um, he is truly the Son of God. Peter believes that Jesus is the foundation for their beliefs, so that in a confusing or hard situation in those moments in life, they weren't going to lose their faith in Jesus. And I think this is a very important lesson for us, because the reality is we will face hard situations. We will also endure tough teaching. When we read the Bible, some of it's going to be confusing, right? Like what we just read tonight. Who thinks in here what we read tonight was kind of confusing? Yes, everybody, yes. Jesus is talking about eating bread, my bread, and drinking of my blood. Very weird and obscure things that seem confusing on the, the surface. And so um, even when we're reading stuff that doesn't make sense to us, um, we can learn from the disciples. Because it's not just reading the Bible, but what if it's just life in general? Maybe you go through an injury. I know there's some of you, maybe not in this room, but there's some students who have gone through injuries and haven't recovered. Right now, there's a college football player. I don't know how many people know this, but there's a college football player from Eureka College right now. He was injured in a football game two, three weeks ago, and he's in the ICU in OSF because he had such a bad head injury. And I'm not going to say his name because this is live and recorded. If you want to know, I'll tell you his name later, okay? So he will never play football again. In fact, he is paralyzed completely on his right side. And that what we would call a, a bad thing, and we are confused, and I was talking to somebody about it last night, and they were saying he was such a good kid. Like, he was joyful, and they were getting to know him, and he, he was a really good kid. And so why, uh, we often ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Whether it's an injury, maybe a fam family member dying, right? And that can be kind of confusing in a hard situation. Maybe it's broken relationships with parents, or maybe it's their relationship being broken, and ask God, why did you put me in this tough situation? could be any other hard moments in life that are confusing, and when you look at it and we try to fit it into our perspective of God, why would you allow this? It can be easy to doubt God's existence because life is not how we think it ought to be. It can be easy to doubt God's existence when things are confusing, whether it's reading through Scripture which we all agreed was difficult today, or through situations in life. In doing so, we can easily forget truths, things that we know to be fact, and instead we only see what's currently in front of us. So like Peter, what Peter is doing, we must keep in mind the truths and facts that we know about Jesus when going through confusing situations in life, when reading through the Bible, when it doesn't really make sense, when life isn't going how we think it should go, we must be like Peter and keep in mind truths and facts that we know about Jesus. Let's take math, for example, real quick before we, we wrap up. Just because some things you learn in math may be confusing. Who thinks in here some things they learn in math are kind of confusing? Yes. 
I don't know about you, but I cried when I had to take calculus in high school. It's very advanced math, and I did not understand it, and I cried when doing homework because it was so hard. Some things you learn in math may be confusing, but that doesn't mean you should give up on math or whatever you've learned previously in that year somehow is not true. No, you don't do that, right? You remind yourselves of the truths that you've learned, and you apply them to the current math problem so that that you're trying to solve. We need to do the same with our lives. When we go through hard and confusing times, when we read something that doesn't make sense, we have to remind ourselves as truths, truths such as 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because, here's the big truth, because he cares about you. When it seems confusing, when life seems difficult, when things don't make sense, write down 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, and especially circle that last part, because he cares about you. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world, reminding ourselves that Jesus promised that we will have hard times, but Jesus has overcome the world, so we can have eternal life with them. Those hard times don't define us. Those hard times aren't the final say. This life is temporary. Jesus has conquered death and sin so that we may have eternal life with him. And then finally, Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. And then this is the key truth. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. We need to remind ourselves that for those of us who have put our hope and trust in Christ, In the end, we are united with Jesus forever. We will have no more pain, no more crying, but rather rejoicing always with Jesus. And just in conclusion, we must go back to verse 29 of John 6. This is really key for us. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. It all comes back to this. It all comes back to believing in Jesus. But I must ask this very important question before I pray. Are you pretending to be a Jesus follower? Do you only concern yourself with Jesus on Sundays or Sunday evenings? Or do you just try to be a good person on your own efforts? Or are you a genuine Christ follower? Do you actually believe that Jesus is God's Son? Do you hold that to be true? Do you believe that He can save you from your sin? Do you obey God's commands and follow the example of how to live on earth that was lived by Jesus Christ? I pray, I hope, I beg that we would all be genuine, authentic, real followers of Jesus, that we could maybe Uh, be uh, repentant of our pretending. I pray that we can be honest to God where we need Him. I pray that we would be able to trust in the truths in His Word. 
And I pray that we'd be able to hold on to Jesus as our foundation for our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for your word, even though there are some things in it that is confusing and hard to understand. God, I thank you for the spirit that provides clarity to us, that we can have resources, that we can understand um, what you are trying to say to us. And God, I think the big takeaway from tonight, God, I just pray that you would just instill in us this desire to just know truth, to know your truth, and to believe in it to trust in it, to grow in our relationship with you tonight. God, I pray for those who don't have a relationship with you. God, I pray that they would stop pretending. God, I pray that I would stop pretending like they don't need you. I pray that you would expose that and that they would see that they need you in their lives. God, I just pray that for us, that we would also just be aware of our dependencies and where we actually need you and we need to repent from our sin and where we need to cry out to you to help us. Because, God, the reality is, is we do need you. Oh, we need you so badly. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.